Please stay standing as you're able. Today's reading is the New Testament lesson from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 6 through 15. They went through the region of Phygra and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came, when they had come opposite Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, he immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, becoming convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace. The following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women, the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer of purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, grace and peace to each of you. Always grateful to hear Dot a read with that marvelous southern accent of hers. Uh, Southern London, of course. Uh, We're grateful to have our students from Belmont here. Um, And we're so thankful to Dr. Joel uh, for leading us in worship today. I remember when I could play the trumpet like that. 30 years ago, I remember, uh, I went to college on scholarship as well for trumpet and music, and I've been looking for my lip for 30 years, and you all still have it. So we're so grateful. And I want to say to our students at Belmont um, that we have been remembering you all especially this week in the death of Jillian Ludwig. Uh, We have tremendous ties with Belmont through Greg Jones and Todd Lake and others who are part of this congregation. And I know I speak for all of us when I let you all know that you have been in our prayers and will continue to be. We thank you for your presence uh, today, especially. And Paul Farrington on the bench, we're always grateful to Paul. Uh, Greg is away and we're thankful to have Patsy uh, Wade back with us as well. Uh, My wife is one of the friends of Belmont who participates and encourages the music, and we have a number of folks that are a part of that as well. So uh, greetings to you all. And those of you who are online with us, it's always always a blessing uh, to be with you all, and we're grateful that you've chosen to worship with us today. We're in the middle of a series that we're calling Call Stories. All disciples have a story to share, a witness to give. And Dot's read for us today a significant scene 
from Paul's second mission trip. We know from the book of Acts, written by Luke, that there were three mission trips between Acts 13 and Acts 20. And in chapter 16, it's a part of the second mission of the Apostle Paul, and it's very significant because this text features the first European Christian, the first European convert to the gospel. And when you think about it, there are actually two call stories in this text. One involves the rerouting of Paul in a direction that he didn't plan to go. And the second call story, of course, is the call of Lydia to follow Jesus, to become a disciple, which when she heard the preaching of Paul, she was so engaged and inspired that she gave her heart to Jesus. So I want to talk briefly about those two call stories before we come to the table. First, Paul. Paul's objective, Paul's goal in the second mission was to carry the gospel from east to west into Asia, what we called Asia Minor at that time. Specifically, he was seeking to go to Antioch of Pisidia. You see that just, just to the west of Iconium and Derbe. He intended then to go to Ephesus and Colossae, but verse 6 says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word there. That's an interesting verse. Another translation says they were blocked by the Spirit. Now, whether this was the result of a vision or an innate nudge or perhaps prophetic counsel, we don't know. But what we do know is that Paul's initial plans on that second mission were revised. And so he tried going northwest to Messiah and Bithynia, but again, verse 7 says, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go through there either. And so that really begs the question, what's happening in this text? Because it sounds like, it looks like to me, that perhaps Jesus is sabotaging his own cause. What's the deal? Well, I think it's simply this, and this is key to the message. The missionary is not in charge of the mission. I want to say it again. The missionary is not in charge of the mission. Who is? The Holy Spirit is in charge of the mission of the church. And the task of a missionary or a disciple or a pastor is simply to be submissive to be obedient to the guidance and direction of the Spirit. Or we could say it like this. The task of a missionary is to be Spirit-led. Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. What's interesting to me, however, is the Spirit's intervention in Paul's mission does not frustrate his strategy. He doesn't quit when he hits a locked door and go home it actually enhances the strategy of Paul. Every now and then somebody will greet me after the benediction and say something like this, Pastor, is everything under control? And I'll say, no, not under my control, it isn't. And we've discovered that so much of life is plan B. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. 
And our plans are not always God's plans, so we have to adapt. We have to adjust according to the movement of the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but it's in the text. Have you ever been kept from doing something providentially by God, something that maybe you were convinced or compelled to do, and it was like you were prevented from it, you were blocked by the Spirit? Paul knew that feeling. There's a writer who's also a therapist and an author named Shannon Alder who says this, and I quote, a plan B life can be just as good or better than a plan A life. But, she said, sometimes you've got to let go of an initial dream to realize that God is already writing the first chapter of the new life that awaits you. I don't think I've ever quoted Dolly Parton from the pulpit, but I'm about to. She once said, we cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust our sails. That's so true. We cannot control the wind, but we can adjust our sails. On December the 31st, I will complete 41 years of ministry. I was 10 when I started. (laughs) And I have to tell you, I am actually on plan C right now in my ministry. Plan A doesn't always happen. When I think of Macedonia, I realize that Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece, which was Europe, that wasn't even on Paul's radar. It wasn't on his map quest when he started. But the Spirit altered his course and rerouted him to Troas, where he had a vision of a man from Macedonia who said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And though it wasn't on his map quest, Paul adjusted his sails and he went. I think my favorite verse in this passage that Dot read for us is verse 10. Listen to this. They immediately set sail for Macedonia. They didn't have a committee meeting. They didn't call the missions department. They didn't call the staff. They immediately, there's an urgency in this vision, set sail for Macedonia, convinced that God had called them to share the gospel there. I want you to notice one exception, and I put it in parentheses in italics there. Notice the text at this point doesn't say they, it says we. The writer of Acts, of course, is Dr. Luke, and at this point, he's joining the team. It's no longer about Paul and Silas and them, now it's about us. There are scholars who say that Dr. Luke may have had a practice, a medical practice in Troas, and he was so convinced of the gospel from the preaching of Paul that he decided to join the mission, and it goes from they to we. The mission, the church, is a we proposition. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke cross the Aegean Sea, and they dock the boat in Neapolis. That, that means new city, polis, city, nea, new, new city. Today that port is called Kavala. In fact, there are many of us in this room 
who docked our boat three weeks ago when we were traveling in the footsteps of Paul in Kavala. We docked in that place. But for Paul and friends, after disembarking in Neapolis, they took the 10-mile hike inland on the Via Ignatia, that is the Roman road, the Roman road system. They walked 10 miles to Philippi, which is a Roman colony. It's a leading city in the district of Macedonia. It's named after Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. What you might want to know is that typically when Paul ever entered a new city on mission, he went first to the synagogue. And there he would find connections. After all, he was Jewish. He would find hospitality there and information that he needed. But evidently, in Philippi, there wasn't any synagogue. We know that because Paul and friends went on the Sabbath outside the city gates about a mile south of Philippi, and they found by the Gangetes River a place of prayer. They were all women. It was a prayer group of women. Apparently, there were not 10 Jewish men in Philippi, which was the required number to establish a synagogue in that day. Just a handful of women. And one of them was named Lydia. I love the name. It means noble one. And she was. Luke describes her as a God-fearer which means she was a Gentile who sympathized with the Jews. In other words, she didn't buy into polytheism. She didn't buy into the Roman deities. She was a monotheist. She believed in one God. Luke also tells us what her trade was. What did she do for a living? She was a businesswoman. She was a fashion designer, a dealer in purple cloth. Purple cloth came from Thyatira, that is, Western Turkey, Thyatira was known for its textile industry. They manufactured purple dye, which was used in big-ticket, expensive clothing. It was the color of royalty. Lydia was a woman of means and influence, and she was probably sent to Philippi from Thyatira to open a branch office. Verse 13 says that Paul sat down with the women. That's not a throwaway line. That's the posture of a rabbi teaching. You stand for the Torah reading. You're seated for the teacher. And during Paul's teaching, she listens. Listen to this. She listens intently to the message. And verse 14, God opened her heart to the gospel. In fact, Paul baptized her that same day in the river and later baptized her entire household. There's no mention of a husband. She may have been divorced. She may have been widowed. Evidently, she had children and servants. And watch this. Her response after receiving Jesus was an act of hospitality. She insisted that Paul and the team would stay in her home. She would not take no for an answer. In fact, tradition tells us that her household became a church in Philippi and a parsonage for traveling pastors. Incidentally, we took a group 
a couple of weeks ago to that same river, the Ganges River, to the very spot where Lydia was baptized. In fact, our whole group reaffirmed our baptismal vows there by that river, and we worshiped with a group of Koreans who were playing ukuleles and singing their praise to God. And we brought back some water from the river that we're going to use at one o'clock today to affirm and confirm our confirmands. At one o'clock today, 53 of our sixth graders, our students, will come to the altar and make their profession of faith. And they will be confirmed and baptized with the same water of the first European woman as the gospel began to come west. It occurs to me that in Paul's ministry, if plan B never happened in Troas, he never set sail to Europe. The gospel is never proclaimed in Philippi. Lydia is never baptized, and Philippi never has a church. You cannot direct the wind, but you can adjust your sails. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful today for plan B. One word and I'm finished. On our flight overseas a few weeks ago, we flew from Newark to Frankfurt, Germany, and then had a layover and then flew the rest of the way to Istanbul, the old Constantinople. The flight from Newark to Germany was an eight-hour flight. And Sherry and I sat in those tight three seats next to the window, Sherry in the middle, I'm on the aisle, and we sat next to a young German man who was headed home. I don't know how you are on international flights, but for me, I'm not a big talker on planes, and especially long flights, and I much prefer to just read and study or watch a movie. But on this flight, I was studying a lecture that I was preparing to give on the boat, and I was reading the book of Acts, and this young German man next to me noticed my New Testament on the tray table, and he asked, is, is that a Bible you're reading? And I said, yes, it is. And then he asked me an intriguing question, and he wasn't being contentious. He was being sincere. And he said, why, why read a book that is so archaic and antiquated? And I, he stopped me in my tracks, and I thought for a moment, game on. But he was so gracious and so sincere. And I said, well, to be honest with you, I've found that this old archaic book has some truth to it. I've found that the truth that I read in this old book is, is universal and it's applicable in unbelievable ways to any age and any culture. And I said, I've come to the conclusion that it's uncanny, really, to me how relevant this archaic book is to life. And I said, when I stop and think about it, I, I really read it because it points to and contains the teaching of my rabbi, whom I deeply love. And I'm trying, and I've been trying for a long time, to emulate his life. 
His teaching has changed me. And so I, I find really, I find really great meaning and help in this ancient book. And then I had a question for him. I said, have you read it? And he said, no. And I said, can I, can I show you a passage? And he said, sure. And I turned in my New Testament to Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. I thought that's a good place to start. And I said, if you've got just a few minutes, just take a look at, at these chapters. It won't take long and see what you think. And he took the Bible from me respectfully, and for 20 minutes, he worked his way through the Sermon on the Mount. And then we talked about it. And I said, there, there's one other there's one other piece that I'd like to encourage you to read while we're at it, and it's my favorite. Uh, and I turned to Luke 15, the prodigal son. And I said, this is, this is my story. Uh, just take a look at this. And he did. And then he looked at me and he said, this one sounds a little bit more familiar. And I said, I know, right? I, I've played every part, every character in that story. I've been the lost boy. I've been the elder brother. I've been the loving father. In fact, in, at one point in my life, I was the fattened calf. So I played every part. <laughs> and he talked, and he talked, and he talked, and he talked. Eight hours <laughs> for the rest of the flight. So much for my lecture. It was plan B. Talked about life, talked about marriage. Talked about children, of course we talked about grandchildren. We talked about family, we talked about hiking, we talked about God. And it wasn't weird. There was no imposing, there was no coercing, there was no arm twisting, no guilt mongering, none of that. I just shared my story and he shared his. And for the first time in that young man's life, he read this ancient book and we became friends. It occurred to me as we deplaned, as we disembarked, I watched him walking down the corridor and I thought, ah, I should have gotten his email address, you know, to follow up as a pastor, which never came up. My responsibility, my path never came up. I wish I'd gotten his email, but then as I was collecting my luggage, I remembered a verse from this ancient archaic book. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and prosper so that it yields seed for the sower and brood for, bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I remembered that. The mission is not mine or yours to control. It's ours to share. And the rest is up to God. You cannot direct the wind, but you can sure adjust the sails. And when you do, 
you can be sure that the Spirit is moving, that the mission is expanding, and you may even discover that God is already writing the first chapter of the new life that awaits you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.